Hello everybody, a very happy Easter to you. It's a great pleasure to be with you on this special occasion. And I want to begin by asking you a question. How are you planning on managing all the change and transition that you are about to undertake in the next few weeks and months? How are you planning to deal with all that? Because whether you love change like a crazy person or whether you instinctively fear change, hate change, dread change, get paralysed by change, do everything you can to avoid change like a sensible, wise, cautious person like me. However you feel about change, we're about to get dragged through absolutely tons of it in a very short space of time. How are you planning to deal with that? You see, change is um, an experience that is full of opportunity. It's also an experience that is full of risk. I learned this on a speed awareness course that I voluntarily chose to go on. I didn't have to, it's just a hobby of mine. And I went on this speed awareness course and they told me that contrary to what you'd expect, the most dangerous time on a journey is not when you're flying at full speed up the motorway. Statistically, that's actually quite a safe environment. Much more risky is in a city centre at much slower paces, but when there's a lot of stopping, starting and changing of direction. Actually, just the complexity of that, as things change, there are more opportunities for things to go wrong. Now, I'm not being anti-change, though, of course, you know, you've probably guessed I am a bit anti-change. Because junctions and going left or turning right or stopping and starting can take you to where you're meant to get to. So change is natural and change can be a really good thing, but it is also fraught with risk. And because of that, it is something in our lives that we have to pay great attention to and steward, as Esther Lee said in one of our podcasts this week, really, really wisely. See, God in the Bible takes transition moments really seriously. In fact, he has one tried and tested change management strategy that he always ordains for his people whenever they're going through a huge transition moment. And what it is, is that he leads his people over and over again into a time of 40. Sometimes it's 40 years. Sometimes it's 40 days and they always make sure they tell us and 40 nights as if we weren't sure. But it happens over and over again through the Bible that as a transition occurs from one bit of the story to a substantially new bit of the story, God ordains a time of 40 where he comes to his people and he works on them, he prepares them, he teaches them, he readies them, he refines them, he rebukes them, he revives them, he restores them so that they are prepared and empowered for the new era that they're about to step into. Now, you can probably come up with loads of examples of this because you're very well read in the Bible. But I had to look up quite a few on Google. But here's just a, a, a smattering of them to convince you of the point. It happens when Israel leave Egypt and head to the promised land, two very distinct eras, and they are bridged by a time of 40, 40 years in the wilderness, where having taken the people out of Egypt, God has to take Egypt out of the people. It happens when God wants to reset the world with, in the time of Noah, there's been so much evil and injustice happening that God does not look on that and feel okay about it. And he wanted to wipe out the evil in the world. And so between the evil world and the new reset world, he ordains a bridge time, which is the flood where it rains for 40 days and 40 nights. 
It happens even to Jesus. So this is not like a punishment from God for us to sit on the naughty step. Actually, Jesus, the spotless son of God, aged 30, is about to transition from obscurity into his public ministry. And he has this bridge of 40 days and nights in the wilderness where he is readied by God so he can be sent back in the power of the spirit. And it happens, as we're going to see today, at the first Easter Sunday. Jesus has been walking and talking and teaching his disciples for three years, doing his thing. But he knows that when he dies on the cross for our sins, when he rises again to show us that death is not the end, he's then going to hand the baton onto his church. He is going to go with his physical body to heaven and there's going to be a new body of Christ who is to be the hands and feet of God on the earth, who is going to extend the mercy and blessing and kindness of God through the nations. And it's going to be the church, this motley crew of disciples. And Jesus knows when he's about to hand that baton that he can't just chuck it at them and say, off you go, because those disciples are weak and fragile and see if you can relate to any of this, tired. And they've just been through the craziest year of their whole life. And they are wounded and some of them are doubting and some of them are ashamed at how quickly their so-called faith actually wilted when the pressure came. They are at a time where they're being asked to go into a whole new era and actually they're at their worst and their weakest and their most fragile. And so knowing their fragile frame, God, our Father, gives them as a gift a time of 40. Acts chapter 1 verse 3 says, He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and nights and spoke about the kingdom of God. It's like our kind Father in heaven knows that we can, if we want to, and we are tempted to just put our foot down and fly through change by winging it and hoping for the best. But that we mustn't do that, that we needn't do that. Rather, we can pause and we can be worked on by God so that we are prepared and empowered for the new era. And in probably the most obvious segue and one that you saw coming, we as a church today are launching our own time of 40. 40 days, which is at its heart very simple. It is simply an invitation to you to draw near to Jesus. Not a programme, but a posture. Not something we're insisting you embrace in a particular way, but we're inviting you to embrace in whatever way works for you so that you meet with Jesus in this 40 days. And what I want to do for the rest of this time is at the end, I'm going to flag up uh, a menu, a smorgasbord, an Easter tapas of options, channeling my inner Boris here, uh, of options for you to get involved with, particularly in the coming week in this 40 days. But for the rest of this time, what I want to do is hone in on the Easter Sunday story, particularly that 40 days after the resurrection, and see how Jesus interacts with frazzled, frantic, fatigued, fearful people and what we can learn from that time for our own moment of transition. What we're going to see is that though Easter is really important and so we should celebrate it, and though talks about Easter are really important and so we should keep listening to them, 
actually neither Easter nor talks about Easter are gonna come anywhere close to empowering you to get you through the moment of change we're about to face. And you need something much more than Easter to get you through the next few weeks and months. And I'm gonna show you what it is. But first, let's put ourselves back in the Easter narrative. Jesus, if you remember, has died on Good Friday, taking our sins on the cross as our substitute so that our sins no longer stand between us and God. He bellows out. If you know the story, you'll remember this moment. He screams out with his final words. It is finished. A better translation would be, I've done it. It is a victory cry as Jesus takes away the penalty and judgment for all of our wrongs so that the ways open for us to come to God with no judgment, no condemnation, only welcome. But the problem is he's then dead in a tomb and a big old whopping stone is put in front of it and then a couple of Roman SAS soldiers are whacked in front of it so that no one can get anywhere close to getting that body out of that tomb. And as he lies there dead and buried, the hopes of the world and the hopes of the disciples and the hopes of a woman we're about to meet called Mary Magdalene are stone cold dead in a tomb. But then Easter comes and having dealt with our first great enemy sin, Jesus then on Easter Sunday deals with our second great enemy death by rising to new life. He is resurrected, he is physically raised from the dead to show us that though death overshadows and swallows up everything beautiful and brilliant in our world. In Jesus, there is another way. In Jesus, he actually shows that he overshadows death and he swallows up death itself because he is beautiful and brilliant. And he shows us that if we put our eggs in his basket, light will always triumph over darkness. Life will triumph over death. Hope will triumph over despair. And that can be true in our story, in this life and the next because of Easter Sunday. Hallelujah. And so Easter is great. Yay, Easter. Woo Easter, said the preacher on Easter Sunday. I am convinced that Easter is really important, but the rest of our story shows us that Easter and hearing about Easter and talks about Easter are nowhere near enough to get you through change and transition, the scale of which we're about to go through. Because in the story, something unexpected happens. John 20 verse 18 says, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. Now, at this point, you're expecting them to be totally transformed. Jesus is alive. Everything's OK. It's all going to be all right. And they've heard Mary tell them about this. And surely it's all going to be fine. But look at the disciples just a few hours later. They don't seem particularly transformed and empowered. Verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. How are the disciples? Well, it's the first Easter. They've heard about the resurrection and actually they are so fearful that they are locked away. Now, of course, they had every reason to be. I'm not knocking it. And as have we had for most of this year, reasons to be afraid and to be locked away. But what I want to clock is this. Jesus rising from the dead has not automatically transformed them. Do you see that? Easter doesn't magically make you bold and empowered. 
okay? And even Mary bringing this really powerful, convincing, dynamic, not into a smartphone, Easter Sunday message with such conviction and power, even that doesn't transform them into fearless and bold people who are empowered for transition. Guys, Easter isn't enough. Jesus historically rising again is not enough. Hearing talks and messages about other people experiencing the power of the risen Jesus is not enough. But there is something that will empower and transform you. Look at what it is. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them, not very COVID safe, that one, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And what happens here is something that no talk, no podcast, no theology, no book, no sermon, no conference, no anything can replicate because the power comes when they encounter the risen Jesus for themselves. Do you see that? Jesus was among them, it said. No longer was it simply Mary saw the Lord, but they encountered the Lord themselves. They weren't living off someone else's story. They had their own encounter with Jesus. And then he says, peace be with you. But it isn't, hey guys, uh, Jesus told me to tell you, peace be with you. No, it's his voice. They hear his voice themselves bringing peace. He showed them his wounds in his hands and his side. It's him saying, would you for yourself see the, the, the depths of my love, what it cost me to love you, what I did to save you. Would you behold that yourself? And then he breathes on them, this very intimate, close moment. This analogy in the Bible of the, the breath of God is the spirit of God. He breathes on them to, to give them an encounter with the Holy Spirit themselves. In the time of 40 that Jesus gifted them, the disciples encounter Jesus themselves, hear his voice themselves, see what he's done themselves, receive the spirit themselves. And from that place, fear is met with peace and they get this calling and this power for the new era. Guys, do you know Easter is not enough? Easter happens so that encounters with Jesus can happen. Jesus died and rose again to clear the way so that we could come to him. And no matter how great our theology or preaching or songs or podcasts or books or creeds or whatever it is that tells us what we believe about the cross and resurrection, if we don't come to him and meet with him, then it is pointless because he died and was raised so he could be near to us. And once you see this, it is at the tip of every story in the end of John's gospel. Because next we see this guy, Thomas. Just look at this guy, Thomas, for a few moments. And for him, it's not so much fear, but doubt. Verse 24 says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, shout out to all the twins, was not with the others when Jesus came. See, he wasn't there. He hadn't had a personal encounter with Jesus. He was in the crowd. He had the name disciple. But he hadn't met Jesus for himself. 
And they told him, we've seen the Lord. They're doing the excitable preacher thing that Mary Magdalene did. Like, we know about Jesus. You should too. But Thomas replied what any of us would reply. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Thomas gets a bad rep, but this is fully rational behaviour. He's saying, you can say it and I want to believe it, but until I see some evidence for this myself, until I experience it myself, it's going to be pretty hard to give my whole life to this. Yes, he's called Doubting Thomas, but I don't think his doubts are something to mock. Maybe you've had doubts this year. I've had doubts this year. There are things going on in the world, things going on in the lives of my dear friends in Church Central, and things going on in the church at large in our nation and in the world that have made me howl this last year and shout, how on earth can this happen, God, if you are a loving and powerful God? I've had my doubts this year and maybe you have as well. But look how Jesus treats doubters. Eight days later, and see, sometimes just to say encountering Jesus doesn't happen with a click of the fingers. It takes time. It's mysterious. We don't know why, but sometimes it takes time to experience the love of Jesus for ourselves. But the disciples were together again and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, and then sometimes encountering Jesus happens suddenly. As before, Jesus was standing among them. And then it's like a replica scene. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas goes, my Lord and my God. In the time of 40, Jesus gifts doubting Thomas and wants to gift doubting you with the same thing he gifted Mary and the other disciples. He wants you to draw near and to see him and experience him and be with him and hear him for yourself. Easter happens so that encounters with Jesus can happen. And then it happens again over the page. Last one, I promise. To Peter, often called Simon Peter, which is confusing. Uh, he's the guy who, when crisis hits, his faith, radical faith, wilted really quickly. Maybe you relate to that. He thought that when crisis came, he was going to be the guy who was all keen and still in. But actually, he crumbled really quickly. He denied Jesus three times. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And because of this, he carries so much shame. And maybe you do too. Maybe you thought when the crisis came, you were going to stand strong. But actually, you have found yourself living and acting as if you don't even know Jesus. Again and again and again. And when you've realised that you have that sort of weakness in you, as I have realised at times this year, when you realise that there's this propensity to wilt and to even grow cold to the very Jesus we need to run to in crisis, when you see that in yourself, someone else's experience of him is not going to cut it. And someone else's words are not going to cut it. But they don't have to. Because in your shame, you can encounter Jesus for yourself. And that's what happened to Peter. After breakfast, it says, Jesus loves breakfast. Ask Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. 
then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Number two, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. In his time of 40, Peter was restored from his shame to someone who was sent out in the new era with the baton handed to him to bring the love and mercy and kindness of heaven through the earth. And what did it? It wasn't just Easter. And it wasn't just a message about Easter. It was an encounter with the Jesus of Easter himself. Now I'm nearly done and I can hear you uh, objecting in many ways potentially, um, not least because it's going on a little bit. But one big objection is, Rich, we can't be with Jesus physically, okay? We don't have breakfasts with Jesus. We have no way of putting our hands in his side like Thomas did. And I agree with that and I understand that. But, you know, when Jesus ascended to heaven and then poured out the Holy Spirit, the goal of that was not to remove the possibility of people personally encountering Jesus. It was to open up the possibility of people encountering Jesus by not being just in one physical place, but now ascended to heaven and with the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out. Now, through the Holy Spirit, people anywhere, anytime, any place can meet with Jesus personally. And it's been happening to people through 2000 years from right across the globe and it can happen for you as well. Now whether you've done that before, whether you know Jesus and you encounter him multiple times every day or whether you're brand new to it or whether you're not really sure because you don't really know what we're talking about, I want to say to you would you come on a journey with us over the next 40 days, a journey of drawing near to Jesus. We have got loads of resources, a smorgasbord indeed, of resources and gatherings to help this become more accessible and more concrete for you. A few of them to run through. Tonight, our prayer meeting, we do this every week and sometimes there's noise, sometimes there's silence, sometimes there's Zoom glitches galore, but we don't care because we try and help one another draw near to Jesus. Each weekday morning this coming week, we've got Liz Brown on the 40 Days podcast teaching us and leading us in little activity so we can hear the voice of Jesus ourselves. So it's not just other people's words, but we hear the voice of God personally. Or you can join in with Johnny on the 15 minute uh, prayer thing that's going on on Zoom uh, and join with others and grow in prayer with them. Tomorrow evening, Monday evenings through the 40 Days, uh, we're gonna try something new called an Abide Evening. This, I wish there was more of a plan I could give you, but basically it's Zoom, it's me, it's Rach Martin, and there might be some other people there or there might not be. And we're going to sit, we're going to ask Jesus to speak to us and see what he wants to say and roll with it. And if you want to come and join in with no agenda, no snazziness, no slickness, but just people and Jesus, you can join us tomorrow at 8pm. As Laura has said, we've got our 24 hours where we want to fill that whole time with encounters with Jesus. And I'd love you to sign up for that. But if you don't want to, and if this isn't going to help you draw near to Jesus, then literally chuck it out. Ignore it. I couldn't care less. What I care about is you encountering Jesus yourself. Because, my friends, Easter happened so that encounters with Jesus can happen. 
my prayer is that it's an adventure for us to go on together. Not a heavy thing, but a joyous adventure of learning how to be with Jesus. And that whatever comes next after this time of change, you and I would never be the same because we met with him.